Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Bat Force Radio, the only DC and Batman podcast with no limits. We are going to be rolling through. We have been uh, talking for the longest time, if you've been listening, about jumping into a Grant Morrison read-through. And uh, the guys suggested that this could be a really good place to start. This is the first time that Grant Morrison had an ongoing uh, on Batman, ongoing few issues on Batman. The first thing that he wrote was Arkham Asylum, Serious House on Serious Earth. But this is the first time that his Batman was in single issue format. And this one was in the uh, pages of Legends of the Dark Knight in 1990, issues 6 through 10. And the artwork by Klaus Janssen. Is it Klaus, gentlemen? That's how I've always said it, I guess. Klaus. Um, I had forgotten that it was such a treat that he was on the art for the specific storyline. And when I started opening up and reading, I was like, oh my god, this is awesome. So um, let's go around the round table real quick. We got Robin D. Cross in Canada. Aloha. We got uh, Grumps over in New York. Yo. We got Gramps in Texas. How are you? <laughs> we got uh, Teases in uh, Jersey. Hello. I'm in California. And uh, Gramps, you had a uh, a good idea on how to start this. What did you want to What did you want to start with? Well, first. Um... Which version of the story do you have? I have the deluxe hardcover. <clears throat> oh, my. One at a time, gentlemen. I'm sorry. You got both grumps. I, I didn't realize that um, if I was reading correctly, they didn't collect this until 2007 in, in a paperback format, uh-huh. which is pretty crazy considering how good the story is. Yeah, I have all, all these single issues, but I just read it uh, digitally to to reread for this. Yeah, me mm-hmm. too. Yeah, Correct. I. Uh, you say some grumps? No, it's just uh, agreeing with Robin. I did the same. Yeah, I had the floppies, the original uh, issues, and uh, I, I was I was recalling there was uh, twenty. I think it was San Diego Comic Con twenty fifteen. Grant Morrison had confirmed that he would be there. It had been years since he had been to San Diego. And I remember saying to myself, I said to myself, self, what are you going to take to get signed? And so I knew they would probably cap it to a certain amount of uh, items. Um, I did not want to be too rude, but I didn't want to miss out on the chance to get Gothic signed because I did have those individually. So I took my first edition copy of uh, Arkham Asylum and I ever so gently tucked the issues into that just to see if I could possibly get a couple more signatures. I think they had like a four item limit and I made sure to be as front of the line as I could to not be a jerk and take up too much time just to move through the line swiftly. And I was able to do it, opened up the book. He signed, he did a bat signal in the book and then he signed his name, signed all my individual issues. And I don't remember how, I don't know how it worked out, but somehow I, I got next to him behind the table 
Um, I think that was during the signing. I don't know. Maybe I waited until after the signing, but I got behind him at the table and uh, I was talking to him a little bit and I asked him for a picture and he said, of course. And right before they snapped the picture, I just like leaned in and put my head on his shoulder and smiled. And he, like, started <laughs> I, I remember that picture. I was going to ask <laughs> if that was the picture of you hugging yeah. him. I remember so, that. So it's, <laughs> it's, I'm basically like cuddling him. So it's me cuddling Grant Morrison and he's like laughing. And then afterwards he looked at me and he goes, I, I really felt the love. I really felt it. <laughs> and that was like so awesome. And so yeah, that was that was awesome. But and that's um, the story of how you were spooning with Grant Morris. <laughs> yeah. That started that started a, a a love affair with so if you if you are listening to this, uh, a good place to start for the listeners, if you haven't, go back and check out our intro to Grant Morrison episode. Um because after going into that stuff, a lot of the background of him it really kind of made me enjoy this reread so much more because there's so many of those elements in there, and we'll get to that. But, I was um, thinking about that, like that, all the the aspects of Grant as a person that we explored there, and once you know some of that information about Grant, it becomes sort of abstract that they have even written Batman comics, not only written Batman comics, but so many. And so well that you know, this person who is into all of this occult stuff and, and magic and the, the sigils that, that we talked about last time, this is a, a Batman creator. Uh, it's kind of bizarre. Yeah. 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 And uh, let's, let's start with, uh, we'll go, we'll go like we normally do. I think we do, we do story then we do art. Um, we kind of talk about a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit more things in detail after that, but let's start with the story. So we'll give we'll go a brief summary. We're going to spoil a lot of this stuff. So if you haven't read it, you know, you might want to read this now. Yeah, if it's not... only been out what thirty two years or so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this came it's... out originally in nineteen ninety. Exactly. Um, and so it originally came out in nineteen ninety. So this was after he had written his uh, graphic novel, Serious House and Serious Earth. He had already worked on Animal Man. Uh, he had worked on Doom Patrol. Um, he'd been starting some stuff in Vertigo. I was trying to find out where uh, on the timeline he wrote this in relation to his experience that he had that really informed The Invisibles. The Invisibles, I don't think, was until uh, 93 or 94. So that that was afterwards where he kind of incorporated a lot of that. But obviously he was already into a lot of these kind of occult themes, as we can see in this. But um, yeah, so the story essentially is there is this murderous person on the loose in Gotham who's got the mobsters of Gotham spooked out so much so that they've decided to enlist the help of the last person they would ever want to which is Batman and uh, that's kind of how the story gets its jump start and you learn through the story that at first Batman does not want to help the mobsters he has that sinister smile and he's like think you you started this you finish it but then he is reminded of some flashbacks that he has as a child and he realizes that some of the things about this entity that is scaring the mobsters has a lot to do with a person that he remembers in his childhood there's flashbacks batman's having some dreams he decides to go and investigate himself and then he uncovers this crazy you know like almost satanic background to this individual who actually has ties through all of gotham all the way back into where he was in vienna and the mobsters and you learn all about that stuff so um Crazy. What did you guys think of the story when you when you reread it? When you're looking back, when you're refreshing your memory, what came to mind? What was like jarring? What did you enjoy? What did you think? How was it written for you guys? Well, there's one part in particular that 
I was considered. There's an aspect that I don't like, but I don't think I would even blame Grant for that because this was so long ago. The, what I'm referring to is that it seems so familiar now that any time there's a, a new character that pops up as part of a particular Batman story, it's revealed that Batman has some prior connection to that person. Like, <laughs> oh, of course, he, he knew that. Mm. But in this case, this story was before so many of those other ones happened that I, I won't even really hold that against uh, against Grant for doing that. Yeah. Yeah, but, it's... Uh, the, there's a cool aspect, too, that uh, I, I only mention this because it probably plays into what Grant did here. So you alluded to uh, these, you know, all these uh, members of the uh, the criminal underworld that were trying to, you know, they need to, to get this guy eliminated. And we find out a little bit into the story, uh, their history with him, that they had attempted to, they thought they killed him, what was it, 20 years ago, I think? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was because there was uh, a police manhunt for this killer who had at the time had already killed six or seven children and the the police being so uh on top like you know being out in force hunting hunting for this child murderer that it was making it more difficult for them to do their regular criminal jobs uh this probably plays into grant's idea for that it's a very similar plot line to uh, a 1930s film. I think it was like, like it might have been like 1930 specifically. Uh, it was a Fritz Lang film called M uh, that Peter Lorre was in. And there was this uh, child murderer who was being hunted by both the police and the, the criminal contingent. And that's the kind of thing that I think Grant probably did pull from for that. Yeah, it's almost impossible to say that he he's he's got so much in his mind that he loves to add yeah. in and pepper in that 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 totally makes sense um moving into the story a little bit yeah speaking of that um the way that he, he so this individual is three different people in the world of the criminal underworld with the bosses they they refer to him as whisper um and bruce is yeah batman bruce is reminded of an individual from his past. It, it, what is the? What I, I thought I wrote it down. I, didn't, I don't have Mr. it here. Winchester. Winchester. Okay, it was Winchester. Winchester was kind of like the headmaster of a boarding school that he was at. And in when you see the 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 uh, the flashback that he has, it is extremely disturbing. Because I mean, I'm I'm like had to do a double take, but he's like beating Batman over like his desk, and he's like yeah. you know telling him all this crazy stuff about alluding to the fact that he's done this before and that, you know, Batman, or I'm sorry, Bruce is, uh, Bruce is realizing like, okay, this is getting crazy. Um, so just some, some really, really sadistic stuff from this background of this character. And, uh, as Batman realizes that he is connected to this individual, um, he remembers these flashbacks and these memories and, um, uh, a story of a flooded river in Vienna. And so he decides that, uh, Connecting the Austrian accent to Winchester, um, he decides he's going to go to this town and investigate. And that's where he finds this whole crazy background story of this cult where it's like this priest uh, named um, Manfred uh, decided to dabble into the occult. He's getting into all these different types of uh, rituals and uh, black magic and all this stuff and 
heretical beliefs and, and essentially uh, decides to um, start indoctrinating the priests of this place into and all of these practices. That's that right there. You know, Manfred, he was kind of seduced. First of all, they talk about how Manfred was like the the top dog, the example amongst all the priests at this uh, monastery. And then he was kind of seduced to the dark side, right? By mm-hmm. this young people that showed him that there was this belief that the only way really to obtain salvation is to know more about the sin. Mm-hmm. And that's where I was like, okay, this is getting into what Morrison specializes in, you know, kind of the occult stuff. And there is that belief um, where how can you, you know, know what true salvation is unless you've experienced what it is to be, you know, apart from God. You can't have that appreciation for the deity if you've never, you know, been estranged from, from salvation. So that's where pride came in from Manfred saying, I can save this young man. I can steer him away. But then the more and more he got hooked into it, he started falling into the sins of the flesh, the lust. And there were even some nuns that showed up. And by this time, Manfred had kind of twisted over some of the other priests. And and pretty soon the whole monastery had just turned into, um, you know, a place of debauchery and, and evil deeds. Hedonism. Hedonism, yeah. right. The opinions of Grandpa Batman are his and his alone. Not that is true to a fault. Just kidding. When, when, when I read that part too, I was kind of thinking like maybe that was his perspective on religion too because like even through history and whether you dabble in the Catholic Church or any other religion there is always some type of corruption and some type of, sometimes there's perversion in some instances or some type of corrupt underlining factor. And the fact that there was that altar that was underground. And if you think of like, it was completely opposite of what they stood for when they were underneath in that layer where he was summoning, it looked like he was summoning, I guess, Satan or something like that. You saw that upside down cross where it was like an animal, the beast, uh, oh, to me, yeah. you know, as a spiritual person that you think of, you know, of who he is, to me, I felt like that's a little nod of what he, what his perspective on like organized religion was, you know? I, I thought that's a think good that word that, a that you used to this uh, perversion. Um, yeah, I mean, let's be earlier, realistic. You, and, there's always something down the line where you see some type of priest or some, some figure that's like um, respected in public that this corruption does go down, you know? So um, he's more of a spiritual person. He believes in like dimensions and, and entities and stuff yeah. like that. And to me, I think when you start talking about organizing religion, he sees it as a cult. And that's where you see where these monks directly turn into these, this, these cult figures, you know? I, I definitely well, think that that Morrison was, you know, that was kind of the underlying message because if you remember back in the late eighties, early nineties, what also was popular in popular culture? TV evangelists. Mm. And it was yeah, almost sure. like when I was reading this, I, I, I kind of had to remember and take myself back to this time when this story first came out. Because 
it's a lot different culture and society now than it was then. But I was like, it still Mor- exists. Like if you Morrison is saying, look, man, I can, I can take your most holy high priest and turn him into, you know, this bad guy so right. quick, so easy. Yeah. It's really right. it only takes one moment, you know. Right. But I think I think you gotta really go back. Um, I'm sorry, uh, I forget which book it is. It's in, but uh, Tom sent the image with Batman and the Bat Signal. Oh, yeah. And the Bat Signal is upside down, and so that sick. is yeah. There it is, and that's on purpose. Oh, yeah. That is uh, you know some symbolism right there. Yeah. I guess you know Batman being the I don't know Jesus archetype or whatever, and you know. Winchester yeah. maybe being the devil of, of some sort. I love how that um, just pisses Batman off. Yeah. Because there's a moment where Bruce Wayne is recalling uh, being in school and he's got his little friend there with the with the orange hair and and the friend's like, Where in hell? Where in hell? Where in hell? I forget what Bruce says, but it was Oh god, I love that he, part. He too. says he's the de- he says that Winchester is the devil because he has yeah. no shadow. And then mm. that circles back to, you know, how the the gang bosses are talking about Mr. Whisper. They say he has no shadow. He casts yeah. no shadow. Mm. And that was your first clue that something's off about this guy. Mm. That gives um, him a supernatural element too, you know? Right. Like, and when he's, you, you think of, you know, mystical characters like vampires or something supernatural. Yeah. And when, have these, like physical forms. Uh, yeah. He uses uh, that ability. And he even, uses the cord to uh, envelop his soul. Uh, to to not cast a shadow, you know. So uh, again, you know, uh, nods to magic and uh, nods to like dark arts that uh, Morrison is is into kind of checking out. Another thing, another thing I wrote down that I loved. Um, I think it was uh, when they were talking about um, TZ when you were telling us about uh, the group that you know the he's starting to now involve all the other monks in the monastery now who are they're all falling into this like hedonistic selfish behavior and they're starting to like do these like mass rituals like abusing these nuns a whole a whole group of nuns and at some point one of them or someone says the kingdom of hell is within us so it's like hell isn't a physical place you go to but it can be tapped in from within you like there's evil in you and if you Mm -hmm. look for it and and play off of it and let it out like it can become powerful so that was like a really crazy thing that uh, i wrote down that, that i remembered yeah, they, they almost became, like, primitive, you know? Like, we kind of saw them attacking, like, uh, the innocent nuns or whatever, where they were kind of, like, grabbing them forcefully and pulling from all different directions, you know? It's like they were under a trance where they became more primal in that state. Yeah. Um, that, that part that you're talking about, uh, Gramps, when um, Batman comes onto the roof after uh, he sees the inverted uh, bat signal and they're explaining to him, we knew that you wouldn't come just for the regular bat signal. We knew we had to send some sort of message, so we inverted it, so you knew something was up. And uh, a great panel in here is when he shows up and he hears their story, how they're pleading about, you got to help us. This This evil force is killing us one by one. And Batman, he's like, what does he say? He says, it's no... Uh, Oh, how dare you bring me here? And he's got like this, like his, like he's almost like sadistic in his yeah. look, uh, pointing at the inverted uh, 
signal. And then afterwards, um, they, when they ask him for his help, he just says, no, he's like, you started this. Let it, he's like, basically like, let it consume you. It's got nothing to do with me as he walks away. A, a very brutal version of Batman in this, you know, in that, that caught sense. me off guard. He's, I think he said, how dare you? Like three times. How dare you? <clears throat> Excuse me. And to me, it like, uh, I don't know, almost elevated him. Like he was talking down to them. Like, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Um, as as we move through the story a little bit, there's some more themes that uh, well, some more things that occur. Batman makes the connection that um, Winchester is Manfred. Well, he learns about Manfred in Vienna. He learns the story of Manfred, how Manfred was this monk who uh, allowed himself to be consumed by evil, and then ultimately um, decided to create a pact with the devil. What he wanted to do was. Um, you know, uh, exchange his soul for 300 years so he could survive the plague. And during that time, he took all these rotting, disgusting, putrid corpses of these uh, dead bodies that fell victim to the plague. And he was experimenting with the chemicals of it to create this airborne toxin. And the eventual plan that that he reveals to Batman is that he's going to to trade, he's going to kill everybody in Gotham and use the souls of those people to trade for his one soul so that the devil will no longer take him to hell after his 300 years are up. He designed the, and it talks about this early in the book about the opening of this big cathedral in Gotham on May day. And later we learn that Winchester or whisper, whatever is when I go by, he designed this, cathedral mm-hmm. to be basically what do you call it a, a soul, soul trap catcher. yeah soul trap that makes me never want to go into one of those big cathedrals <laughs> ever <laughs> again <clears throat> yeah what's amazing too that you bring that up gramps is uh in in the bat cave um batman is talking to alfred and explaining that and he's talking about he wishes he knew more about sacred geometry because the cathedrals were used and created using sacred geometry and sigils and all these things that have occult meaning and occult symbolism. And the occult symbolism and the geometry of the cathedral creates, um, I guess, uh, I'm forgetting how he described it, but the the resonance of the vibrations from the chanting and the the way it's arranged and the way it captures and, and shoots your soul in a specific direction and, and it's all to do with the stuff that Morrison was kind of like a student of, you know, sacred geometry being something that is extremely old. And if you look, you Google sacred geometry, and if you're listening to this, like there's so much stuff there. Like that's just a little, like a little nugget that Morrison just slipped in. And it's like, oh my God, that's a whole topic in itself. And mm-hmm. he's a student of this. So um, he, he, he's saying that that creates energy. Like a yeah. force, you know, the fact that these guys are chanting and, strategically in the structure it's creating this vibration which is creating a sense of power yeah he also uh, he he name drops black magic uh i i can't remember if he name drops blood magic but he's talking about black magic um there's another i mean these are just little little easter eggs that he's dropping in all of these things keep in mind this is 1990 okay yeah. there is no internet Grant Morrison already at this time is like a master student of these like occult themes. The, the he could only do that by getting these like going to the library or going to a bookstore, special ordering these books. People are probably looking at him like he's a fucking weirdo mm-hmm. for for ordering these occult black magic, you know, hermetic philosophy, 
um, you know, all these different types of books. And he's, you know, he's learning about all this stuff and then he's eventually peppering it into his comic books. But the amount of knowledge he has at this point without any help from the internet is insane. Tom, I, I was thinking something similar like that. And I was like, man, this book is way beyond its time. And if I was thinking to myself, if Grant was in this room, he would tell you, I traveled back in time and I wrote it. I went back <laughs> to the 90s and rewrote the story and yeah. then left. I, I don't I don't I don't want to say that this is necessarily part of the black magic theme but throughout this uh, this story arc Batman's belt is the same color as his suit. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else noticed that. Yeah, it's, I didn't even it's, catch all, that. it's the belt is gray. Uh, oh yeah, look at that. I think all the way through. Wow. It's what a, a mute yellow yellow on the cover. No, yeah, but I didn't even notice that. In, in the interiors look like gray gray. Yeah, in the interior, see? Um, One thing I thought was cool in the part with the monks while, while we're on that, um, just to bring it back to the comic book stuff, is uh, <laughs> the, the monk says to him, I, I rather think you have alarmed many of the brothers, Batman. Your appearance is somewhat distressing. And Batman says, only to the guilty, I would hope. And, and this is, again, like it's 1990, so... It's, uh, you know, it's superhero comics. Batman's just walking around in a suit with all these fucking monks yeah. and whatever. <laughs> you know, now today it would be like, oh, my God, you know, you yeah. can't do that. And it's just such a much more simplistic time. You know? the it, it's kind of funny because these guys are in seclusion and the monk is like, yeah, yeah, of course we know who you are. These guys have no connections to the outside world in theory. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah. He's so famous. Right. Um Another another thing to go back to what you were saying, Tease, is uh, jokingly you were, you were referring to uh, Grant Morrison uh, using his consciousness and non-localized information to tap into a different timeline or a different time time frame and and use that and manipulate. It's very interesting you mentioned that because a big theme of the book is flashbacks and dreams and the subconscious in that Bruce continuously has this reoccurring night- nightmare of this cathedral or this boat crossing the water he sees his father who is unable to tell him the answers he's trying to tell him something he sees himself as a child so bruce has no connection that he knows of to uh to manfred or to winchester aside from the the history of it but through through his dreams some force is trying to give him clues some force is trying to give him information about what's going on so again like you know what it's interesting to ask what how is how is Batman getting this in his dreams? Like, what force is infiltrating his subconscious to try to make him piece these things together? Um, you know, because he sees his father who can't speak. He sees uh, the cathedral in the form of a boat crossing the waters. Um, he's seeing himself kind of helpless as a child. All of this relating to the story overall. But the themes, you know, the subconscious, dreams, dream interpretation, um, information being given to you non-locally by some form of outside source. Uh, all this stuff is not. This is not a coincidence. This is, this is Grant Morrison. Like this is Grant Morrison doing this stuff for a reason. You know, super interesting. Yeah. I, I was... There's this one part here. Uh, the monk says to Batman, "I don't believe in devils. The real truth is far more horrible. The kingdom of hell is within us," which yeah. is what you referenced earlier, Tom. And, I love that. Uh, Batman and, and... says, "Perhaps, but if the stories was true, Manfred might still be alive." And 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 he's he like weaves this you know in and out with the the comic book stuff and then the the occult stuff or whatever. You know? 
Yeah. Well, even in the beginning of the book, going back to that, I mean, that's kind of a common theme throughout the book because in the beginning, there's these two punks uh, robbing this guy in an alley and um, Batman takes out one of them and the other guy's kind of like left standing there looking around and he hears his voice saying, we are all in hell. And then Batman jumps down and he says, and I'm the king of hell. (laughs) That was a badass. All throughout the story, uh, Grant uses uh, quotes, lines, references to uh, things like Paradise Lost, uh, Don Giovanni, uh, The Bad Monk. There are all these uh, things that he pulls from uh, that all thematically fit into the story that he was writing here, too. Mm. Tom, go back to that image you just showed. Yeah, I saw the cross there. That's the beginning. That's page one, and you know you can see right there the cross right in the streets of Gotham. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look at that. I didn't even notice that. Good job. Actually, it's like three crosses. Yeah, I yeah. I think this is one of these series too that really shows off class's ability to really draw amazing spatial landscapes and perspective. And when yeah, I was reading this, I was like, man, I want to jump into reading DKR and just see like, you can really see his contribution and his um, preciseness. And, you know, you could see his level of just ability to really just draw things in a very tight perspective. And like, I'm probably going to just jump into dark Knight returns and kind of see, you kind of see his DNA and what he had, what he brought to that book uh, a little more by just seeing him doing the solo act. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a, a panel in, I think it's either the last or second last issue of the story that looks very similar to that uh, Dark Knight Returns uh, cover. Yeah, when he where cra- he's standing there all, all beat up and ripped too. up. Yeah. Mm. And also when he laughs, too, you kind of see, like, it just brings you back to that to that book. Yeah, it's uh, that's something uh, that this panel right here. When when I saw this, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so a beauty!" I have the deluxe hardcover, and it shows in the back his pencils for that panel right there. Oh, Would you wow. mind uh, showing us if you can to the camera? Show it to the rest of the class. Oh, oh look at that! <laughs> okay, let me see. Oh, very nice. Look yeah. at that. Beautiful. Sweet. Look at that. Oh yeah, good stuff. I, I would love to have um, one of the unwrapped versions of this story, just That'd to see like the the pencils, because looking through the pencils in the back, I'm like, I love this. I love seeing the unwrapped pencils like that. Klaus doesn't have. Does he have his? There's a DKR unwrapped, but there's no like Klaus Jansen unwrapped. Is there? No, I don't think so. He deserves one. Or like a gallery edition of some of the stuff that he's done. And I know this is jumping ahead a little bit, but um, Grant Morrison actually drew a diagram of Mr. Whisper's death trap just to kind of help Klaus create the panels and the flow. Is it in there? There you go. Yeah. Okay, where's it at? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks like a torture, like a medieval torture device. Yeah. Yeah, which, of course, Grant was obviously, like, into and probably researching and 
is what he wanted it to look like. You know, um, uh, so so kind of getting to the finishing up the story, so we can move on to the uh, art a little bit more. Um, at the end, obviously, Batman confronts uh, Whisper, who reveals himself to be Manfred, um, as as well as Winchester, and he reveals his plot to Batman as he's in that trap. Um, Batman, of course, being Batman, breaks out and is able to stop the bell from ringing, which would have uh, reverberated and released the toxins of the um, plague uh, infested germs of the uh, basically like it's like a big fart dust of death right um, into the streets <laughs> of Gotham that would have been inhaled it's, it's like imagine crop dusting and someone's like inhales your whole crop dust it's like disgusting so so yeah uh, I was wondering how did he stop the bell and I'm looking at that paint yeah, he, he actually just, he physically stopped it he blocked he, the the ringer part yeah he took out the ringer bell the bell and Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which is also the, that that, that also was message. also you could say Bellend, wasn't it? Me. Kind of like the message that he sees in his uh, his dreams with his dad, right? Doesn't he get that message to unlock the rose? Or unlock the rose. Yeah, that's like a clue that he's getting, uh, dude, in his, in his visions. Information, inf- non-localized information that he's able to pull from somewhere else in the collective consciousness. Man, that's Grant Morrison right there. That's not. That's not a coincidence. That's him, dude. That's that's so wild. Like, I don't to know that stuff. Um, so he stops the bell from ringing. We skipped over actually the fact that there is a young woman that is found in the recreated cathedral in in yeah. the underground parts of it, the caverns. Well, no, uh, let's go first, back to her her introduction though. Is, that's that's when they find her under the cathedral, right? No, no. When she gets off the train. Yeah, mm. yeah. bus. She and gets off the bus. Uh, yeah, that that dude uh, starts, you know, catcalling, lipping off to her. But yeah, was, you know, cheeky, cheeky. And then when <laughs> she gets close, he's like, "Oh no, it's okay, it's okay." Yeah, it's and I was okay. like, he sees something when when she gets up close. Right. She gives him a look, and he just immediately backs yeah. off. And you're like, "Okay, who Sounds is this better. person?" That, yeah. yeah. Who did you guys first think it was? Wow. <laughs> Selena Kyle. Yeah. I thought it was um, maybe, um, gosh dang it. It felt very year one, that that scene. Coming off the train. Could have been. I mean, because all these Legends of the Dark Knight were supposed to be kind of following year one, right? Still Uh, young Batman in his early adventures. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily canon, though. uh, But yeah, definitely early batman uh what was her name um gosh dang it yeah it, it um, as as you move on into the story you realize that she seems to be well you think she is the reincarnated nun from the uh the the, the cathedral in vienna which reveals herself uh to batman you know as like this ghost see-through apparition um and it, you continue on through the story and you realize later on again oh this nun that you know they they abused her earlier in they Vienna. Burned her she's at back the stake. Burned her at the stake. Now she's back to get revenge on Whisper. And you think that's what's going to happen, but then it reveals, which is even crazier, is that she's Lucifer coming <laughs> to collect the check, and, <laughs> and essentially telling Whisper, "You played yourself." Um, <laughs> and that, 
He knew what Whisper was doing the entire time. He knew what Whisper was doing the entire time. He knew what he was trying to do. He knew that he wanted to be able to um, exchange all these souls for his one. And he's basically telling him, like, it was never going to work, buddy. You're mine. You've always been mine. And you're coming down with me now. So that uh, tells me who made the dreams for Bruce. It's kind of scary. The devil's dreaming. The devil's giving him information in his dreams. The devil. So, um... Anyways, um, the story ends as, of course, you know, uh, Whisperer is confronted by Lucifer. He brings him back down to hell. Um, Bruce is in, is it at the mansion where he receives the package and he opens it up and it's a freaking heart. It's Manfred's heart that's been like ripped out of his body. Yeah, and the package was tied with that uh, string that he had put his soul in, yeah. Part of what the, the priest in Austria told him was that, you know, they... They killed this nun. They burned her at the stake. And the legend has it that she still roams the flooded monastery searching for her killer. And her soul is like attached to this place. Mm. Um, And so Batman takes the heart and throws it in the, the lake. Was it Lake Dress? Yeah. To free her from her curse. Did anybody else's heart fucking stop when Gramps was talking and his door just <laughs> I, opened? I, I, I think that's Louie. That, that's, that's little Louie. Jesus Christ, dude. I, yeah, that was perfect. I, I saw it in slow motion. Fucking hell. I got my lights off in here, too, so it scared me even more. Oh, my God. Here. <laughs> that, that imagery oh, of, the, uh, of the burning nun is really just really incredible and iconic and very ghostly. You know, like, it really makes this... Oh, a real ghost story, um, especially yeah. that cover too. But I always remember growing up having that one cover, thinking it was just very, very dark and very uh, like horror, you know. So to me, I always love that cover. Absolutely, but uh, um, about salvation too. Like it's like a typical to me that kind of sums up like a, a horror story, or like it reminded me of like The Ring. You know, it's like yeah, where that, where that it's a tormented soul, and um, they don't they're at unrest until they get heard or like, or this, or the, the murder solved. And that's really what happened. Like by him throwing that heart back into the lake, it put her soul at ease and she was able to kind of be at comfort. And, and I I was thinking before that maybe the devil used her as a vessel, you know what I mean? Like, or used her physical body as that moment uh, to communicate to Manfred, but you know, her, she had a tormented soul and then that's where it was kind of put at ease and, you could see that little glimmering in the lake. Uh, I think as he throws a heart where that's kind of like his way of uh, doing that to her, you know, like communicating to her that she can rest now. It's uh, absolutely, absolutely. Like, again, you know, the whole theme of like what you're talking about, closing, closing the portal, you know, closing, you know, closing the circle. Um, Cause what's really a ghost, you know, like people, what's really a ghost that, uh, it could be like an entity that's that has unfinished business, you know. What's what's uh, what's awesome is there's quantum. Uh, there's people right now, scientists who are trying to study if there is an actual um, an actual uh, phantom biosphere like around the Earth. So it's like another another biosphere living right next to us, a parallel universe next to us. Which, if that's true could open up the idea of okay well what resides in that 
phantom biosphere right amongst us or in us and it could be you know things might phase in and out of there could be ghosts could be spirits it could be souls of those gone who haven't you know been able to transcend to a different plane could be bigfoot you know phasing in and out in the forest maybe anyways um but yeah so so that's the story there he he takes the heart back to the water throws it in the water um and let's uh let's start getting into the artwork a little bit more as we mentioned, I completely forgot that Klaus did the art for the story. So what what a surprise when I opened it up. Like, oh yeah, dude. No way. And then um, as we discussed earlier, that one panel where Batman's on the roof of a building and you see the inverted bat signal. I mean, that's just... Uh, that's good stuff right there. That's how you comic book. What did you guys think as you're flipping these pages, you're seeing this artwork? What's it doing for you? I can't imagine, like... Uh... Back then, somebody like, I don't know, let's say Neil Adams or Jim Aparo, I can't imagine them doing this book and it being as good. Yeah. Because uh, it would probably be too clean, you know, if that makes sense. It does, yeah. Yeah, there's definitely a grittiness to it. Um, and, you know, talking about Neil Adams, as I was reading this too, it's like he's one of these, I feel like um, Klaus kind of took that, that gesture that Neil did so well where um, Batman gets spooked a few times and you can really see it in his eyes. And that's, that's why, or I think Neil Adams kind of uh, was one of the first to really add that emotion to the cowl and gave some movement to the eyes and the face where he was scared a few times. And Klaus kind of uh, did that as well um, in a few panels where you don't really see that that often where, where the cow on the mask become a gesture in itself where he's grinning or, or scared. And he was definitely scared a few times uh, throughout the, the arc. Yeah. He's got, I like this one uh, near the end when he walks into the cathedral of all the hanging That's... dead bodies of the mobsters. Mm. Yeah. The, the, just the colors. And I mean, even though it's unexpected colors, but just the perspective and there's just like a sea of just dead people that he's collecting. I love yeah. how Klaus. Yeah, there you go. There's that grin too, you know. Yeah, I love how Klaus <laughs> controls the camera angle and perspective. We talked about perspective, but some of his best panels are like the wide angle shots of the city and the looking down from the cathedral from above and and the cave and and just I love how he, you know that that panel like you just showed where Batman is. Surrounded by the dead people hanging above. Yeah. I think there's a ghost in the background. <laughs> the nun. The nun came back. Yeah. Um, I uh, I absolutely loved the... Uh, I, I thought I put it in here as a background. Um, I didn't put it as an overlay, unfortunately. But um, the image of the Batcave... Uh, you can see a couple of panels of the Batcave, and of course, um, this one, for obvious reasons, uh, the yeah, timeline. I, I didn't want to say it during the show, but I was like, why didn't no one not mention that yet? You know? No, that's the no. Keaton mobile. The, yeah, yeah 100%. And, and he did it like a year after, which is crazy. Yeah, it's 1990, Great. so it's, that, was the Bat, that was the hot Batmobile of the era in the moment, so very recognizable, beautiful, and as you can see, you know, sprawling imagery of uh depth and and scale in the background with the batmobile in the foreground ominous hulking batman walking through um 
Just, just, oh my gosh! It's just, yeah, it might, just... it might actually be the Flashmobile. I have to really check uh, against the trailer, <laughs> but... <laughs> the Ezra Mobile. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't. Those wheels look pretty big. I have to check against the uh, the action figure that just came out. I also what... like how uh, Klaus just makes Gotham dirty, like yeah. when they're down in the subway train and there's just crap flying everywhere. It has, it has stink on everything. i think that's sort of what makes it feel like year one you know it has that really dirty real city feeling about it yeah yeah uh count truncula you've said many times that uh you really feel that uh klaus was the magic behind dark knight returns (laughs) i said that i believe that i I think Count truncula just came out of his coffin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> no, Klaus did save Dark Knight Returns, um, mm-hmm. but but this 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 right here, the Gothic is like Klaus had his had his best. You know, you, you got to look at his draftsmanship in this book is just really evident. Um, I feel like he just did a lot of cleanup for Dark Knight Returns, but in this book, you get to really see his technical skill and the muted colors really brought this one to life. It had a really good supernatural undertone, a lot of good Shakespeare nods and whatnot. And uh, I think, uh, I mean, Klaus and Grant Morrison, that's a, that's a pretty, that's a pretty nice tag team right there. So um, yeah, this is, this is, this is one of those jobs. I'm glad this story got the, uh, I don't know if you guys touched on this, but I'm glad it got the deluxe edition treatment that, uh, so that, do any of you guys own the large hardcover for this that came out? Yeah. I think a yeah. Few years ago. yeah, yeah. Gramps, that's what I'm Gramps was just teasing. He was just teasing oh, us with some of the uh, black and white stuff in the back of it. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a nice one. Some so, nice black and white pages, boy. I'm just I'm I'm glad this one got you know a little bit of its due. That's what I should say. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what would you guys say if you had to go around? What was like your favorite page or panel? That key to mobile. Be honest mm-hmm. with you guys, I never really thought about it. I, I, I kinda like I didn't look that closely in the past and I'm like, holy shit, that's the key to mobile. So he was mm-hmm. he was the first one to do it, you know, to throw he was the first one to throw that bad boy in the comic book. Well, that's so, a good point. Sure, yeah, we, we were very excited about Murphy kind of bring it reprising it and bringing it back, but Yeah. Yeah, because you guys gotta remember that over the years, like in the Hush era, they weren't allowed to draw movie vehicles or any kind of movie reference in comic books for a while and i think it was i think it was like a merchandise issue you know like something petty like that so um yeah, the first appearance of 89 batmobile in the comic book klaus jansen possibly yeah, yeah. well yeah because he would have been uh it came out and it came out in 1990 so he might might have been drawn this uh shortly yeah. after it was in theaters or maybe it was still in theaters mm, yeah yeah yeah, very yeah, just put in, just put in the Keaton Batmobile. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Good, good question. Was it uh, was it at the urging of Grant, or did Klaus throw that in himself? Great question. Oh, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking that's a Grant move. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So out of respect, Neo, Neo chemicals, and, and, that, yeah. that, and that's why I strongly think it's the Flashmobile because uh, he went back in time mm-hmm. and he placed it in there. That makes perfect sense. He he, he uh, you know willed it into existence, you know, through the uh, symbolism of, of putting it into the, the sigilism of putting it into the comic. 
Mm. So, so little, little fun, quick uh, Butterfinger tidbits. So, like you know how you have uh, short uh, three to four issue in bursts through the anthology known as Legends of the Dark Knight, and the, some of these arcs had like their own Batmobiles drawn for them. And Automobilia, Eagle Moss Automobilia, actually made diecasts of some of them, even though yeah. these Batmobiles just appeared in like a few pages in one issue and that was it you know so that was that was kind of really cool attention to detail as well Mm. yeah um what'd you guys think of the art overall oh well um unbeatable really like what what more could he have wanted than than what klaus did here klaus said it's best Mm. Mm. it really added to the storytelling i mean it gave it that um you know, like we said, the grit and the horror element. Yeah. I think, Elevated um, the story. Kind of like everyone's input on whether they like the landscapes or showing that discipline of him as a teacher and getting really gritty. I think you really see him switching gears very quickly, you know, like one page is like this and then the next page he's going really gritty. So he's showing that high level of skill where he's just flexing. It's not, it's not it looks consistent, but it is inconsistent because he's constantly just shifting gears. And that's part of the mood, um, like Count Chocola was telling us. And uh, he's setting the mood, and that, that is a visual sense of storytelling. So he's showing yeah. this just next it, level where, where he was ahead of his time. And, and it's he's amazing. A solo I think, act. He didn't get, you know, we, we see him as an inker and someone that has that ability, but this is where he's. This is it. This is shit. Like uh, we said before, this is his best. Not only was he probably the first to draw the um, Keaton mobile, but he may have been the first to draw someone getting a, a swirly in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he's, he's checking off a lot of uh, things. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you, um, you think he got dunked in the toilet? Probably right. He got a little. Grant was trying to work out some of his uh, some of his childhood trauma. <laughs> Probably, um, I want to know. I would love to hear what were Klaus's thoughts as the scripts coming in and he's reading the things that he's going to have to draw. Like, what the fuck? Do you want? Uh, to yeah, draw? like, like, how do you put all that narrative together into a, a vision? Yeah, yeah, shows all over the place. Yeah. Okay. Now I want you to draw the. Uh, bloated carcasses of the plague-riddled, uh, you know, people of this town. It's like this is so crazy. I want to know too what the editors were thinking. Like, if you think about this, this is 1990, right? Um, think about like the the state of you know uh, mainstream media and there's satanic panic all over the time. But I yes. think back then it was there too. So imagine like someone seeing this these themes in these comic books. Like they're probably you know shitting their pants. He's like, well, yeah, you know, I want you to draw a dead kid's head in a trash can. Well, you know, Grant, <laughs> no, Grant, Grant was known to push the envelope even back then. I mean, I still say Arkham Asylum is groundbreaking to this day. It's just you know fantastic. So yeah, I think he he was a bit of a visionary in that sense when it comes. Yep. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, and uh, it, it's uh, it's a beautiful story, visually amazing, peppered in with. Uh, it's so funny, man. Like um, when you guys said, "Oh, let's do gothic," I was like, "Oh yeah, for sure." And I started reading through this, and I was like, "I'm so glad we did that intro episode. It just like fits so perfectly mm-hmm. with all the themes that are coming up right now." Um, I'm not sure if you guys. Well, I saw it because I was reading it in the you know the chronology of the other Dark Knight uh, Legends of the Dark Knight issues. But the next story that comes in after this one is Batman Prey. Oh, yeah. um, another another heavy hitter. Um, I know Charles. You said back in the day. You said your favorite series has always been Legends of the Dark Knight for that very reason. Where it's just like. It's just like heavy hitting team after heavy hitting team after classic story after classic you, you, story. You know, you have to understand some of these stories that came out of that run are really heavy. Re- I don't think you can get grittier stories than some of these. There was, I don't want to give too much away, but Faces as well that came after Faces. that was just, it, it was just, it's like a mind fuck at the end. It's, um, they, it, it, it's, it's, it's like Batman the Animated Series Syndrome where, it's like when you let the creators do their thing, you're gonna get the best quality storytelling there is, you know, with no holds bar, so you know, no restrictions. That's that would and the, what I also what I also really love about the Legends of the Dark Knight series was the fact that the whole point was it was a lone Batman, no Bat family, nothing. This was a lone it was I think it was like more of a year two Batman, but that was the whole you know, thing behind it. Um, that what kind of like linked everything together was the fact that it was it was lone Batman stories. So mm-hmm. yeah, and they were and they were fantastic. Like like real like the gritty nineties man. It's just it, it was a match made in heaven. It's funny how this and the animated series were the two things that followed up the eighty nine Keaton movies. So it was like it was like a Batman Renaissance, if you ask me, when you really think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, the movie kind of opened the door. You're like you, you're getting away from that, uh, that Bronze Age Batman where he's not bubblegum anymore and he's not um, blue and gray. And now you're seeing, you know, Keaton was like, shit, this guy is fucking hurting people, and he's he's dark and he's got a black suit. So now, now the comics are responding to this hype of the movie. And how do we tell that same story of grit and dark? Yeah, rest, rest no. Rest in peace to Danny O'Neill because he was the one who pretty much spearheaded this idea as well. But Legends of the Dark Knight, he started off his story was the one that started off. It was called Shaman, and um, it was uh, yeah, it, it went on for a while too. And you know, it was it was really good. Unfortunately, we never got a collected editions because I think of all the different creators. Unfortunately, but that would have been a great. Um, Hardcover collection to yeah. get all those together. Well, I also think, um, you know, Legends of the Dark Knight also piggybacked on this little known story that came out in 1986 where it sold millions, <laughs> just jumped off the shelves. <clears throat> Klaus had a hand in that, you know, it was called that Dark Knight Returns book. And and they were like, yeah, let's do some on- more of this. Let's, you know, we got year one. Let's, let's yeah. keep this going. This sells. Right, and that opened up with, you know, and we, we reviewed it a while ago, but books like Cult, you know, like that reminded oh, yeah. me of just the same vibe as uh, Cult as well, where it kind of uh, deals with these subject matters. No doubt. And uh, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned uh, Denny O'Neill. He also did another story in Legends of the Dark Knight, uh, Venom, the one where... God damn, you know, man. Oh, yeah, the one where he's juicing. 
Yeah, he fails to save that little girl's life because he wasn't physically strong enough to push that rock on or off her and save her from drowning. So he goes on to Venom and gets hooked on it. And yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that we have to continue uh, more reviews out of uh, Legends. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Yeah, man, it's it's a great anthology series. Um, Denny O'Neill also uh, responsible for editing in uh, uh, the Dark Knight as well, Dark Knight Returns as well. Huge hand in that, which you know I love that you mentioned it, Gramps. Dark Knight Returns, um, completely based on Zack Snyder's Batman, which I don't think uh, gets enough uh, nod to Zack Snyder for inspiring the Dark Knight Returns. I just want to put that out there again. Um, thank you, Daddy. For that. Um, but uh, let's 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 rate let's rate the bad boy, um, man. Okay, I think so far our highest rated uh, story has been. Arkham Asylum. Um, Ooh, yeah. I, th- I think that was like a 9-4 average from everybody collected. So um, That was a good episode, boy. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Gramps, how many trays of Texas barbecue <laughs> would you rate this one? I, I mean, what's the most like, that we're going like to? Out of what? Out of five? A five? Probably. Yeah. Hmm. Five, and it's mix and match. You can do you. You could do like your uh, your beef spare ribs. You can do your uh, you know your um, your brisket. A, whatever a, you, you a know. side a side of macaroni and cheese. Okay, we we get the sides too. We'll yeah, the sides that's too. that's like a, the sides like a point five. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> baked macaroni turkey wings. <laughs> I will give this. Um... Oh shit. Man, y'all really put me on the spot going first. But, uh, you know, it's got to be said that not every book and not every story gets its own deluxe hardcover reissue. And so it, it it's noteworthy that DC Comics felt that this story was important enough to do so. And I'm really glad that they did. Um. I give it a solid three point five. Mm, okay, good, good. And better than average. Better than uh, average. I, I my one little knock, my one little knock, is just how. And this is just being me being petty. But I felt like there were certain instances in here that, in the plot and story that weren't fully fleshed out. Like I didn't understand why these clocks when Bruce is in the room were all stopped at 825. Mm. There were like five of them. And I'm like, why are these all stopped at 825? I didn't understand that. Yeah. And uh, we, we only know that they're stopped because Alfred, uh, Alfred referenced that, you know, sitting in this mm. uh, clock full in this room full of stopped clocks. And when the elevator crashes and the lady's there with her wig off, well, I don't understand. Well, it it was a there's the phone conversation when someone is delivering the message about these people that were killed in the elevator. That that was one of their guys who was dressed as a woman, and because he says, "Oh, so much for the macho image." Yeah. That's kind of what I thought, yeah. but I didn't oh. really want to <laughs> go there. But yeah. and then um, then the part where Bruce is explaining to Alfred when I was a kid, you know, mom and dad sent me up to this school. I was like, 
wait a second. Alfred would have been there the whole time. He would have already yeah. known this. Yeah. It's so funny. Why are you having too. to explain to Alfred that it's you went a... to this upstate school? Yeah. Those Alfred's are... like, Alfred's looking around like, who are you talking to? I know. <laughs> yeah. I, like, right. The audience, Alfred. And then but that's he... another thing, though. This is years before, you know, it's like, what is it, 1990? Like, 90. I guess so, that's just the Alfred of his universe, you know? That's his version of Alfred that doesn't I, know. I guess so. Those, so those are my only little... But uh, those are so minor. So minor, yeah. right? But I give it a solid 3.5. Uh, hmm. uh, TZ, how many exclusive Loot Crate boxes would you give oh this God. one? Oh, shit. Um, damn. Um, definitely over a four. So probably like... Not four and a half, maybe four three, four point three. Mm. Um, mm. I think again, Klaus at, at his best. He switches a lot of gears. He shows a lot of uh, detail. You know, you, you can read it once and go back and start really start looking at all these panels. Um, he uses a lot of like grunge effects and a lot of line art where he kind of inverts and he makes it really natural. And he does make it into like a dreamlike state. Um, non-stop you know it's very vague it's very cloudy um so the only thing that kind of threw me off was i felt like sometimes it got a little wordy and then it got super visual for like two or three pages where it's all just uh you know panels without any words which was cool but um mm. i felt i felt like it got wordy but that's who that's part of the storytelling of uh you know of 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 the story so it's like you know it was, it was kind of it's carving in all these layers of uh psychology with his fear and it being a ghost story so it wasn't perfect mm-hmm. but i think together it was a really solid story and i think it's highly underrated mm-hmm. um as, and again we said it before like it's kind of crazy that um he's delving into this like 33 years ago where mm. Now it seems like if you read it today, you would say it's almost ahead of its time, even now, mm. you know, like, so. Yeah. Believe them. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, low fours, uh, just shy under four and a half, but I, our art is incredible. I think mm. uh, it makes it makes me want to kind of, like I said before, go back to Dark Knight Returns and you start seeing, you start seeing again what class's strengths are and you start seeing wow all right this is what he brought to the to that story Mm -hmm. Uh, because it felt like an extension of dkr a lot of times and also Mm -hmm. year two and all these other books so it's uh it's great i you know i think i'd definitely give it another read in in a few years another year or two and there's not much to complain about uh visually Mm -hmm. um we got some good friends of the show over at uh the bledsoe said so podcast we had ryan nick and alex on an episode where we talked all about um, Department of Truth and, and occult symbolism and uh, Grant Morrison stuff. Um, this story is one in which I would recommend to friends like that who are into like other things that aren't necessarily comic related that they might be into esoteric meaning, occult symbolism, uh, things of that nature and saying like, check it out, dude, look at this guy, what he's putting into these comics, right? And um, so for that reason... I think that I'm a sentimental guy. You put a Keaton Batmobile in a comic, mm-hmm. I'm going to like it. And now that you guys are saying this might be possibly the first 
uh, Keaton Batmobile in a Batman comic. I think we should uh, fact check that. That would be amazing if that's true. Outside um, of the movie, movie adaptation, yes. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the the artwork that Klaus adds to this that elevates the story, um, Grant Morrison being one of my favorite writers, I mean, like... Um, this I, I had forgotten how good this was. And I think, like, I'm really happy that we did the research into Grant Morrison that we did because it just made me enjoy it so much more. So for me, this is, like, I would say, like, a 4.5, 4.5 for me. Um, it's just, like, I, it's 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 perfect because, like, you can, sh- like, oh, like, this is exactly what I want to show these people who are into this thing. And how do I get into Grant Morrison Batman? You know, you could do Arkham Asylum or you could do this. Like, both of them are really, you know, awesome. So for that reason, I would say, for me, it's a 4.5. I love the uh, the storyline. Um, I love the little nods. I love the the little the art. The artwork's amazing. So, um, Grumps, how many? Well, I was gonna say real quick too. Like the fact that he did all this in five issues is pretty amazing as mm. well. Nowadays, you if he were to write this, or just judging by today's standards, it would be twelve or thirteen issues, and it'd be totally dragged. You know, mm. it was really concise, and he delivered it in five solid yeah. uh, issues. As, as Count uh, Truncula was so eloquently stating, I think that's a nod to the freedom that these ca- these uh, creators have in the Legends of the Dark Knight were not tied to any continuity specifically, not tied to anything, you know, just here. If you were to write a Batman story, what would you no like fuck. to say? Yeah, yeah that's kind of what they do. So, uh, Grumps, how many New York chopped cheese would you give this out of five? Grumps is on mute. Does he know he's on mute? Mm-hmm. Oh, he might be undisposed at the moment. We'll come back to Grumps. Um, let's see here. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, there he is. There he is. Oh, okay. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Top Cheese is kind of a modern thing within the last, you know, 10, 15 years or so. I would give this... I'm close to where you are at, like... Probably 4.25 bacon, egg, and cheeses. Damn! <laughs> Um, Believe. you know, just looking at this, I mean, you guys, I love Grant Morrison and, and R.I.P. is my, <laughs> Bible. I think that's what, what kind of, you know, killed comic books for me. That was, that was for me enough, but, um, <laughs> there's, you know, for fans of R.I.P., let's say, if you read Gothic, there's, you could see stuff from Gothic come all the way back to in, in 2007, 2008, whatever it was, to RIP. Um, and then this, and this, there's a couple of small references, but there's a great reference here uh, in the part where, I guess, Manfred meets uh, the devil, let's say. And, and the devil says, oh, Manfred, my good and faithful servant, don't you know me? That is what Dr. Hertz says to the Joker. At the ah. end of RIP, my good and faithful servant. And the Joker gets super offended. Like, I'm not your servant, you know. I admire your work, but I'm not your servant. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and, and and then the art was, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine somebody else, you know, drawing the story. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a couple of times I thought maybe Klaus took a panel off or whatever, but... <laughs> You know, whatever. Uh, deadline to is deadline. Jesus was saying earlier, uh, you know, in, in some points he's drawing the city, and then 
then he's drawing ships at sea and, and you know, God knows what year it was. Then he's drawing monks and, you know, a, amazing range. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 4.25 bacon, egg, and cheese. Beautiful. <laughs> uh, Count Truncula, how many... Um, Count Truncula. How many, how many nuns in the trunk would you give this one? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, man. I'm doing solid four out of five. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I try not to be too biased because I love Batman and Supernatural slash spooky elements. So that's like my thing. And, um, I mean, you know, class really got to show what he's made of in this book. So straight, straight up Klaus, you know, uncut Klaus. You know, he's, it's not where he's editing something. It's like you get to see what he's capable of. Um, you know, Grant delivered. I like the Shakespeare nods. I like, um, I definitely like the, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a very uneasy feeling with uh, that impen, you know, that, that dreadful feeling that they kind of capture in Gritty God. Then again, it also captures, you know, the gritty, gritty God thing, too. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect story, but it's, it's, it's a good story. And uh, it, it really helped set the tone for Legend of the Dark Knight right after Shaman. So um, it, it's a solid four out of five for me on that one. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Robin, how many um, how many poutines would you give this, uh, <laughs> this year a story? Oh, I haven't had a poutine forever. Now you're <laughs> making me hungry. <laughs> were we? Oh, we were talking about comics. Uh, well, I I like a lot of the the themes and the sources that I I feel Grant had to be pulling from, like the references to to Paradise Lost and and Fritz Lang, things like that. It's really cool to see the the subject matter that Grant always puts into uh, in, into writing. But there are a couple things that knock this one back for me a bit. One I mentioned earlier, which I can't entirely hold against him because he was doing it so long ago. But that that recurring theme where any character, you know, when a new villain shows up or something, Batman just happens to have this prior connection to them from earlier in his life. I, I just don't love seeing that pop up. Uh, and then the other thing is right near the end, you had kind of the, the Bond villain thing where he was explaining <laughs> his, everything he was doing to him while he was, before he left him alone to escape the death trap that, that he had put him in. I'm like, oh, okay, well, he's telling them the plan and t- told, him exact, told him exactly how the machine is going to kill him before <laughs> he left him alone to escape it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, if, if I'm doing this, I was all ready to give it an 8 out of 10. I will... Uh, transpose that to a 3.5 out of 5. There you go. Okay. I feel like if this was an extremely non-biased, very honest review. Tam uh, Robin just cryptocurrency that review. <laughs> <laughs> even, even so, I think this, is, this shows how strong of a story and artwork and uh, all-encompassing that this actually is, that um, it's really hard to critique it. I mean, you, could, you can, obviously, you can, but... Uh, there's so many strong elements that it's still it's still favored, you know, and I think I, I you know I I was this that's what I said when I when I was reading this I, I loved it I'm it made me pumped for more Morrison it also made me like damn we got to do like pray next you know like we got to do pray you, you got you guys mentioned shaman um, 
face. Here's some good stuff in these books, you know. So, yeah, definitely. I loved what what I loved about it was it inspired me to keep reading more. Uh, you know, what else is this good? Uh, it's like, oh, oh, I remember this. Oh, amazing. You know, like, it's just like you get the craving for more. So, uh, all right. Um, with, this, with that stiffing sound, you have to, if you can even look at your hands in the original copies, it has that old, musty comic book smell. Just like um, Millhouse in The Simpsons with Three Men in a Comic Book when he's like, it smells like my grandpa. So, <laughs> just... <laughs> You know, it has like, like in those old ads, like oh, it's just you know, that—that's the full experience, man. You can get your hands in the original copies, which don't really go mm. for much. So it should be fun. It's like, yeah, that's that's the experience. Yeah, I love. I, I want to find the original floppy. I mean, they did a good job with the the new color in the deluxe version, but I I I now want to find the old floppy versions, just to mm. see that grimy. Sadistic, dark Gotham. The uh, the covers for this run are great too. Each yeah, issue has a great cover. Oh yeah, that uh, that is is really awesome to see. They all they, it goes oh, great with the gothic theme. The covers. I, um, I love that uh, subway cover. He's on the train tracks. Mm. And there's car litter flying everywhere. I believe that's the one. That's cool. Um, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, go back and listen to our intro to Grant Morrison episode. Um, read, read Batman Gothic. It's a great combo in that you know we we delve real deep into all these hidden little esoteric uh, symbolism and truths and occult knowledge that is going to run a theme through a lot of the stuff that Morrison does in the Batman run. I think the next Batman stuff he does it technically was his official um, uh, the beginning the beginnings of his official run later on. Um, I'm, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about that, but we're, we, we talked about discussing, uh, possibly even doing maybe his JLA a little bit too, but you know, that could probably be a separate thing, but yeah. Um, anybody else have some last parting words? Beautiful. All right. It puts a, <laughs> puts a nice bow on it. Uh, all right guys, that's uh bat force radio. Please check us out. Keep following, keep listening. And, uh, we will be back. Mm-hmm.